Section 14 of Literary Lapses by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Men Who Have Shaved Me A barber is by nature and inclination a sport. He can tell you at what exact hour the ball game of the day is to begin, can forestall its issue without losing a stroke of the razor, and can explain the points of inferiority of all the players, as compared with better men that he has personally seen elsewhere, with the nicety of a professional. He can do all this, and then stuff the customer's mouth with a soap-brush, and leave him while he goes to the other end of the shop to make a side-bet with one of the other barbers on the outcome of the autumn handicap. In the barber-shops they know the result of the Jeffreys johnson prize-fight long before it happened. It is on information of this kind that they make their living. The performance of shaving is only incidental to it. Their real vocation in life is imparting information. To the barber, the outside world is made up of customers, who are to be thrown into chairs, strapped, manacled, gagged with soap, and then given such necessary information on the athletic events of the moment as will carry them through the business hours of the day without open disgrace. As soon as the barber has properly filled up the customer with information of this sort, he rapidly removes his whiskers as a sign that the man is now fit to talk to, and lets him out of the chair. The public has grown to understand the situation. Every reasonable businessman is willing to sit and wait half an hour for a shave which he could give himself in three minutes, because he knows that if he goes downtown without understanding exactly why Chicago lost two games straight, he will appear an ignoramus. At times, of course, the barber prefers to test his customer with a question or two. He gets him pinned in the chair, with his head well back, covers the customer's face with soap, and then planting his knee on his chest, and holding his hand firmly across the customer's mouth, to prevent all utterance and to force him to swallow the soap, he asks, "'Well, what did you think of the Detroit-St. Louis game yesterday?' This is not really meant for a question at all. It is only equivalent to saying, Now, you poor fool, I'll bet you don't know anything about the great events of your country at all. There is a gurgle in the customer's throat as if he were trying to answer, and his eyes are seen to move sideways, but the barber merely thrusts the soap-brush into each eye, and if any motion still persists, he breathes gin and peppermint over the face till all sign of life is extinct. Then he talks the game over in detail with the barber at the next chair, each leaning across an inanimate thing extended under steaming towels that was once a man. To know all these things, barbers have to be highly educated. It is true that some of the greatest barbers that have ever lived have begun as uneducated, illiterate men, and by sheer energy and indomitable industry have forced their way to the front. But these are exceptions. To succeed nowadays it is practically necessary to be a college graduate. As the courses at Harvard and Yale have been found too superficial, there are now established regular barbers' colleges, where a bright young man can learn as much in three weeks as he would be likely to know after three years at Harvard. The courses at these colleges cover such things as 1. Physiology, including hair and its destruction, the origin and growth of whiskers, soap in its relation to eyesight. 2. Chemistry, including lectures on Florida water, and how to make it out of sardine oil. 3. 
practical anatomy, including the scalp and how to lift it, the ears and how to remove them, and, as the major course for advanced students, the veins of the face and how to open and close them at will by the use of alum. The education of the customer is, as I have said, the chief part of the barber's vocation, but it must be remembered that the incidental function of removing his whiskers in order to mark him as a well-informed man is also of importance, and demands long practice and great natural aptitude. In the barber's shops of modern cities, shaving has been brought to a high degree of perfection. A good barber is not content to remove the whiskers of his client directly and immediately. He prefers to cook him first. He does this by immersing the head in hot water and covering the victim's face with steaming towels until he has him boiled to a nice pink. From time to time the barber removes the towels and looks at the face to see if it is yet boiled pink enough for his satisfaction. If it is not, he replaces the towels again and jams them down firmly with his hand until the cooking is finished. The final result, however, amply justifies this trouble, and the well-boiled customer only needs the addition of a few vegetables on the side to present an extremely appetizing appearance. During the process of the shave, it is customary for the barber to apply the particular kind of mental torture known as the third degree. This is done by terrorizing the patient as to the very evident and proximate loss of all his hair and whiskers, which the barber is enabled by his experience to foretell. Your hair, he says, very sadly and sympathetically, is all falling out. Better let me give you a shampoo? No. Let me singe your hair to close up the follicles? No. Let me plug up the ends of your hair with sealing wax? It is the only thing that will save it for you? No. Let me rub an egg on your scalp? No. Let me squirt a lemon on your eyebrows? No. The barber sees that he is dealing with a man of determination, and he warms to his task. He bends low and whispers to the prostrate ear, You've got a good many gray hairs coming in. Better let me give you an application of harasine. Only cost you half a dollar? No. Your face, he whispers again with a soft caressing voice, is all covered with wrinkles. Better let me rub some of this rejuvenator into the face. This process is continued until one of two things happens. Either the customer is obdurate and staggers to his feet at last and gropes his way out of the shop with the knowledge that he is a wrinkled, prematurely senile man whose wicked life is stamped upon his face and whose unstopped hair ends and failing follicles menace him with the certainty of complete baldness within twenty-four hours, or else, as in nearly all instances, he succumbs. In the latter case, immediately on his saying yes, there is a shout of exultation from the barber, a roar of steaming water, and within a moment two barbers have grabbed him by the feet and thrown him under the tap, and, in spite of his struggles, are giving him the hydromagnetic treatment. When he emerges from their hands, he steps out of the shop looking as if he had been varnished. But even the application of the hydromagnetic and the rejuvenator do not by any means exhaust the resources of the up-to-date barber. He prefers to perform on the customer a whole variety of subsidiary services not directly connected with shaving, but carried on during the process of the shave. 
In a good, up-to-date shop, while one man is shaving the customer, others black his boots, brush his clothes, darn his socks, point his nails, enamel his teeth, polish his eyes, and alter the shape of any of his joints which they think unsightly. During this operation they often stand seven or eight deep round a customer, fighting for a chance to get at him. All of these remarks apply to barber shops in the city, and not to country places. In the country there is only one barber and one customer at a time. The thing assumes the aspect of a straight-out, rough-and-tumble, catch-as-catch-can fight, with a few spectators sitting round the shop to see fair play. In the city they can shave a man without removing any of his clothes, but in the country, where the customer insists on getting the full value for his money, they remove the collar and necktie, the coat and the waistcoat, and, for a really good shave and haircut, the customer is stripped to the waist. The barber can then take a rush at him from the other side of the room, and drive the clippers up the full length of the spine, so as to come at the heavier hair on the back of the head with the impact of a lawnmower driven into long grass. End of section 14